be the last um, last sermon from our prayer series. We've been talking about prayer. It doesn't mean that you have the option to stop praying. First uh, Thessalonians five, which we'll talk about in just a second here, verse seventeen that says we should pray without ceasing or always that we should be praying. And so, just because a sermon series is ending, I know you're. Some of you are thinking, wait a minute, what? We preached on prayer last week, you know, and that's okay. Um, we're, we're still going to be people who are praying. And good news, for those of you who have been just wondering, you've been thinking a lot about it, when will we continue preaching through Ephesians? Well, that starts again next week. If you remember, we were preaching through Ephesians, and so we'll continue um, next week, and uh, we'll we'll start talking about love since February is in our culture the month of of love. We'll talk about love, and one of the sermons will probably be PG thirteen. So we'll have to talk a little bit about that um, because uh, because it's the Bible, and so we're going to work through that. So this morning, prayer part four. We talked about the first week about confession, about knowing where we are and who we are, and when we begin biblical praying biblically, we we should start with confession, understanding our desperate need for the Lord. Not just that moment of salvation, but every moment of our life. We see our desperate need for Christ. And so we come to him in confession saying, God, we understand that we need you, that we cannot live life without you. Though there are many things that I, I put in place of you, there are many things in my life that I would say I can't live without like I, I'm coming to an understanding through confession that I'm in desperate need of you and you alone. I, I'm, my assumption is that none of us have that figured out yet. That we all struggle with that in some way. That we see other things in this world that we try and latch onto or hold onto saying, this is really, really important. And as Christians, we would say, now it's not as important as God, but we're holding it at a really, really high level. We have to come to a prayer, a biblical confession saying, There is nothing, there is no one else that I need other than Christ and God. The second part of prayer we talked about was supplication or petition. About really praying for ourselves and praying for others. That's what we talked about, picking three people that you're going to pray for. You're going to pray for a fellow believer. You're going to pray for a family member. And you're going to pray for a future believer. Someone that's lost, that's never encountered Christ. And I hope that you've been setting aside time daily to pray for those those people. Really saying, God, I'm in desperate need of you. My assumption is, because if I am, everyone else is, and so these people are in desperate need of you, that they may taste and see that you, Lord, are good, and that they would respond to you in that way. Last week we talked about the prayer of adoration, uh, coming before the Lord and saying, we want to honor you and not humiliate you. We want to bring praise to your name and not profane your name or not speak against your name. We want to bring honor to you instead of humiliating you. And I think today, uh, the prayer that we're going to talk about today is probably the most difficult. And you're going to think, wait a minute, this can't be. But it's the prayer of thanksgiving. We can all say thank you. And 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says that we should give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for our life in Christ Jesus. So we understand that we need to be people who are giving thanks. And we can say thank you. We can get our mail through the drive through and say thank you. We can come to church and say, how are you this morning? I'm good. Thank you for asking. We can say those things. But our culture has taught us to be a culture of complaints and not a culture of thanksgiving. And that's where it becomes really difficult. 
Because though we may say it, there's a sin problem that we're facing. And though we may be people who are saying thank you, our culture has taught us and sin has taught us how to be a, a people who complain. We complain about almost everything. And sometimes we complain so much we'll start a rally and walk up and down the streets saying complaints about things. We have a hard time being people who are giving thanks in all circumstances. We can find something wrong with everything. Christ, who is perfect, we can find something wrong with him. Our culture and sin has taught us just to be people who are complainers. And so the opposite of Thanksgiving, I mean, Thanksgiving is us showing contentment in something, saying we're, we're completely thankful and content in this situation. And the opposite of that would be to show discontent. And complaining is showing discontent, saying that we are not content in our circumstance. We are not satisfied in the circumstance that we're in. We would like to be out of the circumstance. So often our prayers of supplication and petition become those prayers of complaints, which rightfully so. Sometimes we have to complain to the Lord. God wants to hear our heart. He already knows it, but he would love to hear it. Lord, this situation is stinky. Like, I, I want to be out of this situation. And so we offer up these prayers of petition, supplication, complaint. But when we get to the giving thanksgiving, like our heart has to be right. We have to remember prayers of adoration. That God is the only one worthy of our life. God is the only one worthy of living for. And so in our adoration, we're saying we want to bring honor to you and not humiliate you. And so we want to bring prayers of Thanksgiving. We want to be, like Paul says, people who are giving thanks in all circumstances because we understand this is the will of God for our life in Christ Jesus. That we would come to that point, that we would be able to be people who rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and giving thanks to God in all circumstances. We have to come to that moment. And the reason why I say it's probably the most difficult is we, we can confess. We can say, I know I'm a sinner. We, we can say, I know I need Christ. We can pray for others and pray for ourselves. Lord, help them to know that they need. We can bring honor to the Lord and say, yeah, I've, absolutely. God, you're the only one who deserves honor. You're the only one who deserves praise. But when it comes to real life, walking in relationship with Christ, walking in contentment with Christ or satisfaction with Christ, that's when it becomes really difficult. We look for every moment we look at every moment and we say, let's dissect this. Let's see, let's see what's inside this moment. And let's find something that I can grab a hold of and complain about. It's just our nature. And if it feels like I'm preaching to you, know that I'm sitting right there beside you because this is difficult for me. Because I'm one of these people. I can find something wrong with, with everything. My, my wife can't stand that. You think way too much about stuff. You think about it so much that it becomes a complaint. Oh, wait, let me just tell you one thing. What you're saying, right? see, there you go. You know, and, and it just begins this vicious cycle where sin rises up, our pride rises up, and we think that we know more. And so if we're going to come to the Lord and bring thanksgiving to him, we have to come to this moment of, Lord, I, I come confessing that you know most. There's nothing more for you to know because you know everything. And so when I'm trying to know everything and I start complaining to you about the way that you're acting or the way the world is or this and this and this, am I truly confessing that I need you or am I trying to put myself in your place? 
A prayer of thanksgiving has to begin with confession. has to begin with us saying, God, you know most. I can't know any more than you. Because you, you know more, and there's nothing more for you to know. You know most. And so because of that, I can come to you and say, thanksgiving instead of complaint. And I can ask you in supplication and petition to work because you are a God who knows everything. And I can come to you and give praise and adoration and honor you instead of humiliate you because you know most. So, because we're people who like to complain, let's turn to Psalm 136. And let's do something that our culture has taught us. Let's break something down. Let's break this psalm down together. Let's study it together. Let's, um, let's look at how we would, how we would respond to these situations instead of how the psalmist responds. That we would, we would put ourselves in this psalmist's shoes and, and in our cult, uh, our context and our culture and what we've been taught in our setting and let's put ourselves and let's see how we would respond in this moment. Psalm 136, we're going to study the whole psalm together here. And maybe um, the Lord will teach us something. So a complaint is an expression of discontent. Expressing gratitude and showing our appreciation or showing our contentment, that's thanksgiving. So when we can come to a moment and say we want to give thanks for something, we're showing contentment. We're showing satisfaction in the Lord or satisfaction in the moment. But when we respond negatively, when we respond with a complaint, we're showing discontentment or unsatisfaction with the moment. So the psalmist says in Psalm 136, he says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love, his steadfast love endures forever. So we stop right there in our context, in our culture. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. We've talked about this already since I've been here, but you know the saying, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. So uh, several years ago, I'm in the backyard with a four-year-old, and I, and I say, hey, God is good. And the four-year-old says, all the time. And I say, all the time, God is good. I'm like, let's talk about that for a moment, four-year-old. Is God good all the time? Yes. What if God takes away your toys? God's not good anymore, Daddy. It's that simple, right? So in that complaint, well, Lord, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. But, but really, is he good? I mean, is he good all the time? I mean, think about these people who are suffering. Think about these people who are in need. Think about these people who are being taken advantage of all the time. Like, think about these moments. For real, God, are you, are you good? You see how our Western culture has taught us? Verse 2, give thanks to the God of gods. Notice, if your Bible has it this way, give thanks to the God, capital G, because he is God, to the God of gods, little g. Here's how we would complain in our Western world. Oh, come on, if you're the God of gods, wipe out all those other little g gods. Like, I'm tired of living in a world where these little g gods are around. I mean, if you're really the God, come on, wipe them out. That's what our culture has taught us. We skip over for the steadfast love. His steadfast love endures forever. Verse 3, give thanks to the Lord of lords. Really? Again, if you're the Lord, capital L, you're supreme, you're above all. If you're the Lord of lords, why are there other lords? Like, if you're king and you're righteous and you're mighty and you have all power and you are the Lord of lords, take the rest of them out. That's how our Western culture has taught us for his love, steadfast love endures forever. To him who, who alone does great wonders. What, what would we complain about that? Well, I've seen other people do wonders. I mean, you, 
there are people who do wonderful things all the time. And if you're so the one that's the only one that's doing wonders, great wonders, how come am I seeing other things? Verse four, verse five. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. I mean, are you really this God who does these things? I mean, I find complaint in that. I mean, this great light that you're talking about, it burns. And if I'm out in it too much, like I get a sunburn. And that's ridiculous. And what does it say? Uh, to him who has, uh, who by understanding made the heavens for his steadfast, to him who spread out the earth above the waters, uh, to him who made the great light, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and the stars to rule over the night. Maybe if you wouldn't have made those moons and those stars, Maybe people wouldn't be worshiping the moons and the stars and trying to figure out life by the moon and the stars. Maybe they would be looking to you if you just put yourself on this play instead of something weird like moon and stars. I mean, you see how our culture has taught us we can begin finding complaint in everything. Where the psalmist is trying to get us to give praise and thanksgiving. We in our culture have been taught how to find complaint in everything. Verse 10, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. Oh, don't get me started about the Lord, the God of gods, striking down the firstborn. I mean, I'll find complaint in that all day long. In fact, I'll find so much complaint in that, my faith will be wrecked. My faith will be ruined when I begin thinking deeply about the Lord striking down the firstborn son of people in Egypt. Should we complain about that? Or should we give thanksgiving to say, for his steadfast love endures forever? And brought Israel out among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. I mean, why does he just chose Israel? Doesn't he want political correctness? Doesn't he want equality? Why did he just choose Israel? Shouldn't he have chosen some of those Egyptians too, who may maybe have made some good choices over time? Why is he just choosing Israel? With a strong hand and an outstretched arm for his steadfast love endures. To him who divided the Red Sea in two for his steadfast love endures forever. So you can split the sea into two, Lord. Here's my complaint. But you can't fix my financial burdens. You can split the Red Sea into two, but you can't solve my marriage conflicts. You can split the Red Sea into two, but you can't get rid of my nasty boss. You can do all these things, but when we just find complaint and everything. I mean, this is the culture that we live in. Put a sign together and put your complaint on it and show the world your complaint. Maybe it's a concern. We have a hard time. Our world has taught us how to be people who complain and not people who give thanks. Looking in these moments for an opportunity to give God thanks for his steadfast love endures forever. Instead, we look for a moment to offer complaint and concern instead of thanksgiving. Verse 16 to, uh, or verse 15, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. Verse 16, to him who led the people through the wilderness, to him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, kings like of the Amorites and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. Verse 23, it is he who remembered us in our lowest state and rescued us from our foes. Why did he let us get there in, in the first place? Why did he let us go down to the low place? Why didn't he rescue us before we got to that terrible moment? I mean, the point I'm trying to make for you this morning is this, that we do live in a culture 
And I know some of you are squirming. Some of you are thinking, oh, we can't, we can't be saying that from, from up on stage. We can't be saying these complaints about, but this is the culture that we live in, a culture of complaint. And of all people who shouldn't be complainers, it should be the people who belong to the Lord. It should be the people who recognize who God actually is. The people who can actually say, for his steadfast love endures forever. That means his love never runs out. Never goes away. His steadfast love endures forever. So let's go back to verse 1. Verse 1 says this, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. So here's how we begin giving thanks to the Lord. We understand that he is actually a good God. Though there are moments in history that we as his created people, we as humans, don't have the wisdom to comprehend. There are moments in history that we would wonder, that would make us begin to think about, is God actually good? There's moments in history in our own life where we begin thinking back and looking back and saying, is God actually good? We have to trust and say, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. How do we know that God is good? Because His love goes on and on and on and on. His love never runs out. His love never runs out. Verse 2 says this, Give thanks to the God of gods. So in that moment we can say, instead of complaining, in that moment we can say, He is the God of gods. There is no God greater than He. He is the I Am. He is God. There's no one greater than He. And because of that, His steadfast love endures forever. Verse 3, Give thanks to the Lord of lords. There are many things in our world today that are wanting us to call them Lord. Whether it's material possessions, Satan, people you work with, people you live with, a number of people are pressing around you trying to get you to call them Lord. But there's only one worthy of being called Lord. And so because of that, we give thanks to Him because the one true Lord, the one, the only one worthy of us worshiping, the only one worthy of us being obedient to, His love endures forever. Verse 4, to Him alone does great wonders. To Him who alone does great wonders. You want to see wonderful things, a word that I use often, wonderful If we want to actually see wonderful things, we'll be asking God, the one alone who can do wonderful things. We'll see at the moment that, hey, if I want to see God and His hand at work and give thanksgiving to Him, I would ask Him to be the one who's showing wonderful things. For His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who by understanding made the heavens. God made the heavens. We give Him credit. To Him who spread out the earth above the waters, and to him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, and the moon and the stars to rule over the night. His steadfast love never fades. His love endures forever. This is who we're talking about, the created God, the the God that created who we are, the God that created all these things that we get to, to be a part of. His love never runs out. And so instead of trying to look for complaint in the situation, instead we turn and we are people who say, man, God's love never runs out. And so because of that, I give thanks in this situation. Uh, verse, um, verse 10, to him who struck down. So, so here we see uh, the psalmist is uh, going back to this God's uh, involvement throughout Israel's redemptive history. So we're seeing that God never 
His love never runs out, and His hand is constantly at work. His redeeming hand is constantly at work. And it says this, Remind you, to Him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, why did He do this? His love endures forever. We have to go back and we have to remember why did God strike down the firstborn of Egypt? To show his might, to show his power, to let his slaves go. Death had to happen uh, in the place of others so that they could be freed. And brought Israel out from among them for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, his steadfast love endures forever. Why does the psalmist say a strong hand and an outstretched arm? It's putting some... Uh, making God personal. Like this God who created, this God who seems so distant, came with an open arms, with a mighty hand, and rescued, redeemed, wants to be a part of our life. And his love endures forever. And he made Israel pass through the midst of it. He opened up the Red Sea and made Israel pass through the midst of it. Verse 15, But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. What seems impossible? God, we can give thanks to him, because what seems impossible to us is possible with God. And we can give thanks to him because of that. And we can give thanks to him because his love never runs out. It endures forever. Uh, verse 16, to him who led his people through the wilderness. Oh, I skipped that earlier. About a complaint on that. I mean, God, if you know all things, why lead us through the, why lead us through the wilderness? I mean, don't you know a shortcut? Why well, take us through the wilderness? I mean, you can see everything. You even made this wilderness. You know what it's like. Take us around it, please. But the wilderness had a purpose, and the purpose was this, that we would understand his love endures forever. His love does not run out. Even in the wilderness, his love still continues. Uh, he struck down, verse 17, to him who struck down kings, his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, his steadfast love endures forever. A Sion, king of the Amorites, his steadfast love, these are the people he's, he's, uh, he put over or he ruled over them. And all, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage for the steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for steadfast love endures forever. And this is the moment in everyday life where we are, I feel like. Verse 23, this is the moment I feel like we really connect with. We're in the pit of complaint or the pit of the wilderness or wherever we are. This is the moment where we get to say, I'm going to, I've made a decision. I'm going to give thanks in my circumstance because God's love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our low estate. So God will not forget about you. I think there's a moment in our New Testament walking or as obedient followers of Christ. Sometimes we think that Christ died on the cross for us, uh, saved us from our sins, resurrected from the third day, and he ascended into heaven. So it kind of put distance between us again. And I won't really get to experience this close relationship with Christ or God until Christ comes again and takes me back to him. But that's not the point of it at all. I mean, the point of the death on the cross was to to take away separation, to bring us in unity with God, to take away our sins so that we wouldn't be separated from Him. And so because of that, we need to live obedient with Him. He has remembered us. He's not forgotten us, but instead, He's given us a helpmate to live with us. He's given us His Holy Spirit to, to live and reside in us so that we could have relationship with God every day. It is He who remembered us in our lowest state for His steadfast love endures forever. 
And he rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. Instead of complaining, oh God, I have foes, we, instead we say, God, we know that you're going to rescue us from our foes, or you have rescued us from our foes. And because of that, I can say, and with thanksgiving, your steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, his steadfast love endures forever. I'm going to stop there for a moment. I think in Thanksgiving, this is the easiest place to give thanks to God. We're reminded at breakfast, at lunch, at dinner or supper, whatever you call it. We're reminded, all right, let's take a moment. Let's give God thanks for, for the food. When we come to this, we say he gives food to all flesh. And we understand, hey, God, we're going to give you thanks for providing this meal. Why? Why is that? Why is it tradition that has taught us that? Maybe. Maybe that's what it is. But really, it's a moment because we're finding satisfaction in a meal. We were desperate for something. We were hungry. We had hunger pains in our belly. We needed something to sustain us longer. And so a meal is provided. And so at that moment we say, oh, God, thanks for providing this meal. It's the easiest moment to give thanks when you're in desperate need for something. And so that's why I would say we got to come to a point in confession and saying that we are in desperate need of you so that in all, all circumstances I can Give thanks. Not just at mealtimes, but in every moment. That before I offer a complaint, before I offer a complaint, I would look at the moment and say, but does God's love remain forever? But even in this moment, does God's love endure forever? Or has his love ran out? Because if his love has ran out, offer a complaint. Lord, why did you promise that your love would endure forever? And in this moment, it feels like your love has ran out. But if the truth is that God's love has not ran out, instead of complaining, take that complaint and turn it into praise and say, God, thank you for the wilderness. Thank you for remembering who I am. Thank you for being the God who created it all. Thank you for being a God who's above every God. Thank you for being a Lord who's above every Lord, who knows most, who's mightier than all, who can split seas open and cause dry ground for people to walk through. Your love has not ran out. So because of that, I give thanks in this situation. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. Uh, this week when you're challenged in a moment of complaint, right, I want you to be reminded of prayer of thanksgiving. That can you find a moment there to say, God, in this moment, I want so badly to offer a complaint, but instead, turn my complaint to thanksgiving. Remind me of who you are. Let me see your hand at work so that I can offer thanksgiving instead of complaint. Numbers chapter 21. There's this moment in Numbers 21 where uh, the, the Israelites um, are wandering around and they've had some issues and, uh, and they're people like we are. It says this, uh, and the people became impatient on the way. So they're wandering, they're being led, but they became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. They became impatient. Anybody? Anybody been impatient? All right. They became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? What a great complaint. I mean, it makes sense. We were slaves. I know we were slaves. And it was terrible. And they made us do things and work, and we didn't have freedom at all. But we were slaves in Egypt, and it seemed like things were taken care of. And then you rescued us from that and brought us out here to the wilderness. And then they say this. 
For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Wait, wait a minute. I'm, I'm confused by your complaint. Because you just said, you brought us out here in the wilderness and freed us, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but here they say, for there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. I mean, do you see how complaints work? In this moment, they're complaining about not having food, and the food that they have is worthless. Okay, you have food. Stop complaining about the food that you have, and stop saying that you don't have food. God has provided for you. Eugene Peterson says this, The enormous entertainment industry in America is a sign of the depletion of joy in our culture. Joy like contentment. Society is a bored, gluttonous king employing a court gesture to divert it after an overindulgent meal. So even though we've had a great meal, we still need to be entertained. Even though we should find joy in the moment of the meal, we're still looking to be entertained. We're still not satisfied. But that kind of joy never penetrates our lives. It never changes our basic constitution. The effects are extremely temporary. A few minutes, a few hours, a few days at most. When we run out of money, the joy trickles away. We cannot make ourselves joyful. Joy cannot be commanded, purchased, or arranged. So we cannot find satisfaction in things of this world. We cannot find joy or contentment in things of this world. We're not going to be able to buy it, purchase it. We're not going to be able to scheme our way and make plans until it actually comes. Joy and contentment can only come from Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Read this to you. Just as a reminder for those who know it. Second Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7 says this. This is Paul talking. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. And three times I pleaded with the Lord. If, if I'm Paul, three times I complained to the Lord. Actually, it would be more than three times, just FYI. 3,043,000 3, more times I complained to the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Verse 9 says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, and with calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul came to a moment, he said, Thanksgiving is much greater than complaint. Though I want to complain to the Lord, Lord, take this away. I want to plead with the Lord, Lord, please change. Instead, I recognize that the grace of the Lord is sufficient, and I am weak. And because, I'm a, because I am weak, God works through me, and I can give him thanks that his love never runs out that I can find joy and contentment in Him and Him alone. I mean, it's something to be said. We, we are a part of a culture that things run out all the time. I mean, it's, it's almost devastating at your house. Or it would be devastating at the, uh, at the baseball pancake breakfast if there was no syrup. And the syrup ran out. Hey, just so you know, there's plenty of pancakes, there's plenty of bacon, but there's no syrup. Well, I'm out. Syrup ran out, I ran out too. Ketchup. How many of you have ever had that moment where the ketchup runs out and you're thinking, oh, the ketchup is out. 
We need some more ketchup or milk at my house. Seems constantly. The milk is out. How is the milk out? Let's borrow a cow from the dairy. So we just have it constantly out here. How is the milk run out? Of course, Mr. Boss is thinking, yeah, let it run out. Come on, we need some more. <laughs> it's frustrating how often things run out. Satisfaction in worldly things. When we try and find satisfaction in worldly things and it runs out, instead of praise and thanksgiving, we become people of complaint. God doesn't desire for us to be followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, those who call Christ Lord. He doesn't want us to be people who are complainers, but instead people who are giving thanks in all circumstances. When I was in high school, I tried to play baseball, and I was a catcher, and we played Kermit one Tuesday or Thursday or Friday, whatever day it was. And... Um, our pitching wasn't the greatest. And we began running out of pitchers. Now I'm a catcher, and I throw the ball back and forth a lot. I'm pretty good at throwing it back and forth this way, from behind home plate back to the pitching mound. Uh, but it's a little bit different from the pitching mound across home plate. And so we come into the dugout, and Coach Boone says, Hey, Thackerson, just let you know you're not catching next inning. You're pitching. We ran out of pitchers. And I, in that moment, think, this is terrible news. We, we have no chance now. We have no chance. And sure, sure enough, while I'm pitching, Coach Boone said, okay, that's enough. We forfeit. We ran out of pitchers, and we had to forfeit. We had to give up because we, we ran out. Ah, thanks be to God that his love does not run out. Thanks be to God that we don't have to forfeit and say, well, I was living for him obediently, and I was... I was doing my best, and I was trying to faithfully follow him, but his love ran out. And so now I've forfeited everything. I, I put everything on Christ, and I said he was worthy of that, and I'm resting upon him, and all of a sudden his love runs out, and now I'm forfeiting everything from the past. Every decision I made to be obedient to Christ, I'm going to have to forfeit because his love ran out. That's what we're used to. That is not who God is. God is a God whose love endures forever. And so because of that, in every circumstance, persecutions, calamities, sickness, health, in every circumstance, we can say, thanks be to God whose steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for loving people like me.